Welcome to Saturday Story Circle, always on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated G for general audiences. The Red Panda Chronicles. The Pact and the Prodigal, Part 1. April, 1940. Outside, a cold wind whistled, having not heard or cared that it was springtime at all, much less that it was quite suddenly April. It blew as if to remind the bustling city of humans that they could print as many almanacs as they liked. The weather would do what the weather would do, as it was in the beginning and would be in the end, whenever that came. Up and down the length of Dupont Street, people swore quietly under their breath, pulled up their collars and leaned into the bitter wind. Nothing to be done but wait and hope, in this as in all things. Unlike his neighbors, Dodsworth Anders took no note of the wind. It whistled and howled, but his ears were not what they used to be, and the constant drone outside barely registered. He was safely ensconced in his rooms, which were lined with books of every kind. Let the wind howl if that was what it wanted to do. He had his books and enough light to read them by. In another hour he might get up and boil the kettle, but then again he might not. The world was his oyster, in the way that only a very old man can ever know. There were no expectations upon him, no load to bear, and on most days there was no one to note his presence in the least. Not everyone's cup of tea, but after a long and active life, it was a retirement on Anders' terms. He turned the page and found to his own surprise that he remembered almost nothing of what he had just read. That was unusual. Dodsworth had retreated into his books many years ago, and they were his only remaining passion and his constant companion. He did not recall the last time he had felt himself distracted from them, and he could not imagine why he would be now. Except there was something. Anders froze. Had he heard something? A thump and a click? Was it more than just the wind? Could his tired old ears have heard it even if it was? He sniffed the air like the predator he used to be. There was something familiar, perhaps, but also almost forgotten. By his right hand where he sat there was a small end table, almost hidden from view by a tower of stacked hardcovers. Dodsworth Anders reached over and silently opened the small drawer in the front of the table. He reached into the unseen space, his hand trembling as it often did, until it found the cold metal of the gun within. Then age and infirmity seemed to melt away, and Dodsworth Anders seemed very much like someone else entirely. The hand came out of the drawer with an enormous automatic pistol. It was old, but it still gleamed with care. It was cleaned and oiled, and every part of Dodsworth Anders knew how to use it. Many years ago, in another life, he had called this gun the Preacher, and even now, after all these years, it felt like an extension of his arm. He rose to his feet. He did not call out as others might have, Is anyone there? Or any such foolishness. There was someone here, and they would never hear him coming.
except back when he was someone else entirely, he could move swiftly and silently with a purpose like fire and an iron resolve. He could feel the old man tremors fighting to take back control of his hand. If this were going to happen, it would be well if it were to happen quickly. Anders strode toward the only door which led to his small kitchen with the hallway beyond. Anders knew that, approaching the kitchen, there was nowhere an intruder could hide within striking distance, and if it came to an exchange of gunfire, he still had the confidence that once belonged to his younger self. It had served him well in those days, when he wore it with the black mask and cloak of the masked phantom. People had forgotten, but Dodsworth Anders remembered. He stepped into the kitchen, the preacher extended before him as it had been so many times before, on so many adventures. One last round-up. Before he even knew what was happening, an unseen force lashed out and tore the preacher from his hand. Once he would have felt it coming, would have dodged it somehow. He had done it a thousand times or more. Once he was the masked phantom. He had fought from the shadows and kept the darkness at bay. Now the darkness had come for him at last. He heard the gun clatter to the floor. He was not the masked phantom anymore. He was an old, forgotten man, alone in his room, about to die. Anders cradled his right hand. If he was surprised by what he saw, it did not register on his face. I guess I always knew it would be you, he said. Something about it seemed inevitable. There was only silence. Do it and be on your way, Dodsworth Anders said, with no small amount of disgust in his voice. Outside, the wind howled in protest as the old man fell. In a stately manner on the other side of town, an immaculately dressed man with an enormously dignified mustache bowed his head apologetically as he finished speaking to a younger man seated at a long table, surrounded by the morning edition of almost every newspaper that Toronto could support. The issues near the top were open to international news, and had serious things to say about the war that had thus far failed to set all of Europe ablaze. However, most of the sheets beneath, outside of the older man's line of sight, were open to the local crime section, which was always a subject of fervent, if subtle, interest in the Fenwick household. Three more this week!' August Fenwick asked, less surprised than he pretended to be. I had thought we'd lost all the staff we were likely to for the time being, Weston. The head butler of Fenwick's household shook his head ruefully. They do call it the phony war, sir, he said with a grimace that was almost completely masked by his mustache. For young men like those of this household, it carries the prospect of adventure with little apparent risk to oneself. Fenwick raised an eyebrow. That seems a bit cynical for you, Weston. Weston stood a little straighter, which Fenwick would have been prepared to swear was impossible. "'I apologize, Mr. Fenwick,' he said. "'I had no wish to cast dispersions upon the young men who have joined up. "'I am certain that their motivations are as patriotic as one might hope.' Fenwick nodded grimly. "'I hope you're right,' he said with a wave at the papers before him. "'Anyone enlisting at this point is unlikely to find it an easy time. "'I have a feeling that the storm is about to break.' "'Yes, sir.' Weston agreed as if the master had not been saying that for several months now. Fenwick looked up and smiled just a little. All right, Weston, he said, just as we did before. Keep all three young men on the payroll for a few more weeks to make sure there isn't a gap that makes things difficult for the people counting on them. It's the least we can do. 
That's very kind of you, sir, Weston said with a nod. I am certain it will be appreciated. I just wish I knew where we were to find their replacements. So many young men have joined up or taken jobs in wartime factories. There are very few with proper service qualifications. Even a warm body is getting to be a challenge, and I hardly like to lower our standards that far. Thrift, Horatio, thrift, Fenwick said, rising and putting his piles of newspapers into some sort of order himself, to the mild distress of the gentleman's gentleman before him. We should expect this to continue. I think we will all have to learn to do with less before this war is done. But, sir, Weston protested. The chauffeur position, for example, Fenwick continued. I used to have quite a good driver. Now, what was her name? He's trying to pretend he didn't notice me come in, Catcher Baxter Fenwick said to the still dignified Weston from the far doorway. I'm not sure I buy it. What do you think, Weston? Weston's mustache moved, just enough to suggest a smile, which might otherwise betray how fond he was of the young lady, even if his position prevented him from showing it. If Madame could see her way fit to not set me in the middle of her games of cat and mouse, I should be grateful, he said warmly. A bit stodgy, but I'll allow it, Kit replied. She pointed at her husband, but continued talking to the butler, with just slightly more urgency than she intended. Can I borrow him for a minute? she asked. Something's come up. A short time later, the same young man swung through the canyons of skyscrapers, that lorded over the downtown of his city, the wind whipping through his coat like a sail. The staffing problems of one stately mansion were long forgotten, the petty problems of August Fenwick's world. For now he wore his true face, clad as it always was in a bright red domino mask. It was a visage which men and women of crime had learned to fear, as honest people fear the devil himself. It was the face of the Red Panda. He landed on a ledge and retracted his grapple gun, the unbreakable line feeding swiftly back into the device in his hand. He made a small gesture with his crimson gauntleted hands, and in response his feet flashed with a sudden spark of raw energy. His remarkable static shoes thus engaged, he turned and without apparent effort ran straight up the side of the building upon which he stood, needing the height to cover the final swing on his journey. Above him, the shapely silhouette of his partner circled against the afternoon sky in a lazy circle like a hawk. "'You're putting on a pretty good show,' the flying squirrel's voice chirped through his radio ring. "'I think Chief O'Malley was trying to keep this on the QT.' The red panda reached the roof ledge from below, set one foot upon its edge, and flipped himself backward through the air, firing his grapple into the void once again as he did so. "'If it's subtlety he wanted, why meet in the middle of the day?' he asked no one in particular as he felt his grapple catch and pulled the retractor for an instant to build up extra speed for his final swing. "'I guess we'll find out,' she said as she turned her glide into a dive and raced toward the rooftop to which her partner was heading. It was impossible to say which one of them landed first, and the uniformed police officer standing with the chief nearly jumped out of his skin when it happened. O'Malley frowned at the young officer. It turned quickly into a scowl when he saw the young man's hand close to his service revolver. The officer had the grace to look sheepish and withdraw his reach, but O'Malley was not in a mood to humor him. "'Anderson, go get our visitor,' O'Malley snapped as the masked hero stepped forward, and an instant later the young man was gone. "'Young Wild West,' the red panda said dryly with a raise of his eyebrow. O'Malley cleared his throat. "'I'm starting to feel the manpower crunch the newspapers have been chirping about,' he said." but at least that one had the sense to bring our visitor to my attention. Don't keep us in suspense, Chief, the flying squirrel said with a wry smile. Whatever it is, it had better be worth the crowd at street level that were watching his nibs pull a flying trapeze routine over downtown. 
The Red Panda cleared his throat gently, and his wife and partner understood without a word that he thought this might be getting just a little close to the truth, since he had, in fact, trained with the circus act long ago. Kit Baxter Fenwick didn't entirely agree, but it didn't seem like the time or place for a domestic. "'You've had a visitor asking for us?' the Red Panda asked, knowing the answer already. O'Malley nodded. "'An estate lawyer with credentials from a New York firm,' he said. "'I made a few calls. He's legitimate.' walked into police headquarters and asked where he could find the Red Panda. The sergeant at the desk took him for a crank, told him to go pull a robbery and see how quickly he would arrive. The young fellow you saw was then asked for directions to the nearest bank. The constable felt like it might just get complicated and thought he should bring the stranger to me. I didn't get much of the story, just enough to know that our guest is either the real deal or a complete lunatic. Nice to narrow the field a little bit the squirrel said with the toothy grin that was crazed and dazzling at the same time. The access door to the roof opened again and the young constable returned with a man in tow, well-dressed but not flashy, tired about the eyes as if he had been traveling, soft-looking but not dull-witted. He seemed confused for an instant until he saw the mystery man in his midst. His face lit up and he was instantly recognizable to the man he had come to see. Chief, I appreciate your discretion, the masked man said. I wonder if we might trouble you for the use of the hall. O'Malley grunted. You'll let me know if this is something I need to be concerned about, he asked, like it was not really a question but an imperative, and he stomped off with his junior officer in tow. A moment passed. Flying squirrel, the red panda said at last, allow me to introduce Charles Hayden. The man beamed. I wasn't sure you'd even remember, he said. How could I forget? the masked man said graciously. But it has been a very long time. Mr. Hayden is an attorney now, but long before I knew him, he was a sort of junior assistant to the Society of Gentlemen Adventurers. Mascot would be a less generous and more accurate description, Hayden said with a shrug. No fooling, the squirrel said. That was Max Falcone's old team. It was indeed, Hayden said with a nostalgic smile. The stranger, Anvil Andy, Warhammer, so many heroes... All gone now, or very nearly. As a younger man, I tracked down most of them in retirement as a final stage in my training to become the Red Panda, the masked man said. Along the way, I made the acquaintance of Mr. Hayden, who had long since grown up and oversaw the affairs of many of the team members' post-hero work. He did far more for them than if he'd ever taken up a mask himself. You're too kind, Red Panda, the man said with a warm smile. I did what little I could to keep them comfortable. Some needed it more than others. Maxwell Falcone needed nothing at all, apart from one matter only. Which is what brings me to your city. Max? the squirrel said without meaning to. She had been close to the master of magic who called himself the stranger, and had taken his death months earlier harder than she had let on. Hayden nodded. I don't know the details myself, but apparently his final fate is somehow in dispute? The red panda glanced at his partner, but she seemed all right. Max had sustained a mortal wound before sealing himself in a pocket dimension to prevent a horde of occult treasure from falling into Nazi hands. I can't imagine that he survived, but if it comes down to habeas corpus, why then you undo me? The man nodded. That seems consistent with what's been happening. He cast several enchantments on the keys, which seemed in conflict with one another as to whether or not he had indeed met his demise, but I believe he made you his executor in this matter, which is what brought me here. The masked heroes exchanged a look. "'You have me at a disadvantage, Charles,' he said. "'I don't know anything about a key.' 
Hayden seemed embarrassed. Of course. How foolish of me. The keys were the life markers of the members of the society who were part of the Tontine of Gilgamesh. Tontine, the flying squirrel asked, intrigued. That's like a last survivor gets all sort of thing, isn't it? It is, Hayden nodded. In this case, the last surviving member will inherit the gift unleashed when the society members solved the riddle of Gilgamesh decades ago. The gift was power. Raw power, which could be shaped according to the bearer's wishes. It could not be shared or divided, but it could renew the vigor and powers of the last survivor, or be used to gift an apprentice to carry it on in their place. The stranger bound the contract with enchanted keys, one held by each member, or rather bound to that member, within a fold of null space, and they promptly forgot about them, in the apparent belief that youth and power would last forever. In time that proved untrue, and I was named the administrator of the pact in line with my other duties. The keys were retasked to appear to me when the bearer fell, and I was to administer the trust. The stranger's key appeared some months ago, but never fully materialized. In reviewing his affairs, it seemed likely it might respond to you as his proxy, to accept your ruling on his fate, and to allow the keys to pass on to the remaining members of the pact. The Red Panda frowned. There's no hurry, though, while other members of the society live and breathe. Who knows if it even works that way at all? You've traveled a long way on a hunch, Charles. If this is what brings you to my city after all these months. It isn't, he replied. Not exactly. I'm afraid a related matter has led me here. This appeared the other day. He reached into the inside pocket of his coat and produced a golden key about six inches in length. That looks pretty solid to me, Kit said, puzzled. It is, Hayden agreed. But this is not the stranger's key. This belongs to the masked phantom, and I'm afraid it means that something terrible has happened. Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or iHeartRadio today. There's eight different podcasts, one for each day of the week and genre, and the Mutual Audio Network broadcast feed so you don't miss a day of your favorite shows. Subscribe to Mutual Audio tonight. Good night.